0: Welcome to the Kinsuki Heroes podcast special Alpine Bushfires series, where we share inspirational stories of everyday people from the Victorian Alpine region who went through the bushfires which occurred from late 2019 through to early 2020. These stories highlight the different challenges and events people went through and how they overcame them. Please be aware that the story you're about to hear may have moments of deeply felt emotions and personal experiences. If anything you hear has a triggering effect, please reach out to someone who can help you. If you love this conversation, please like and share it with your friends so we can continue to share more inspiration and hope to as many people as possible. Now, listen up for our next hero's story. So here we are, it is another episode, and this is our special Alpine series for Kintsugi Heroes, and my guest today is Ron Janis. How are you doing, Ron?
1: Yeah, good, thanks, Emily, and happy uh, happy winter.
0: <laughs> exactly, it's the first day of winter today. So far, my children have not come up to me and done pitch of the punch for the first day of the month. I think they forgot. But that—that's probably coming a bit later on. They love doing that. You no, know, after
1: midday it doesn't count.
0: Oh, that's true. After midday it does not count. So they've missed out. Um <laughs> Thank you, thank you so much for joining me uh, on on the show and coming to share your story. And this is all about obviously the the bushfires and in the region. And you've been a—that's—it's affected you in your life. And and I'm keen to hear all about that. So now I'm going to literally hand the mic over to you and invite you to take us back to the beginning and and share with us your story.
1: Oh, thanks, Evelyn. Um, It's good to have these stories out there because if the story's not told, then that history is forgotten and uh, we need to learn from uh, historical events uh, going forward. So just a little bit of background on myself. I've lived here um, in the Buffalo River Valley for 34 years, um, I'm a current member of the, um, Buffalo Ripper Fire Brigade. I've been the CFA 32 years now. I'm retired, a retired police officer from the area. And I'm also, um, currently a councillor with the Alpine Shire Council. So, uh, I've had, had many and varied roles in the, in the community. So some are historic, some are current. Our area is quite renowned for uh, areas that where bushfires actually start. And that's because of the, the geography of our area. Uh, the uh, granite um, outcrops up at Mount Buffalo and get lightning strikes uh, and they start bushfires and they predominantly travel along and, you know, um, cause greater fires going forward. And I suppose at the time, we we could just focus on the 2019, um, where we had so many fires uh, north of us uh, on the border and coming our way, there was a lot of concern from the authorities about where that was heading and how that's going to impact certain communities. So everyone was super vigilant. And we had the uh, military here. We had police from all other areas coming to support us. We had the army here. So this was something we we we've never normally had the military forces here to assist the community. Uh, And in and um, although they were there to um, try, I suppose, try and support and calm things, uh, because of uh, there's a lot of media coverage of this and and some people react differently to media coverage it's a matter of getting the facts um, straight if it's overhyped then people who have not experienced these conditions before either visitors or new people to the area uh, can overreact as well so it's trying to keep things calm so uh, look our brigade Uh, was called out, as was was every other brigade in the area, uh, to fight fires to the south of us and to the southwest of us that were coming through the area. And um, we have a lot of pine plantations um, surrounding us, Uh, so they're a valuable asset to our community because they provide jobs. So we did a lot of asset protection in the pine forests with, with other units and with the, um, uh, HVP, which, which, um, uh, harvest those pines or um, Hancock plantations. A lot of shift work in that, um, 12 hour shifts on the truck. So it was, it was taxing in, in that regard. One of the, one of the issues that sort of has always worried me since then is our community on a number of occasions were asked to evacuate Um, and we had police members coming up to our driveways, et cetera, uh, advising us that we have to go. Now, our partners who were left behind worry about us as well and that's that's natural. And I think that, and and I can say that even in my case, there was some uh, disagreement whether... I should accompany my wife into a safer place or i just stay and keep sleeping. So that that in itself um, caused some consternation within the household. And one of those reasons is because I knew what was happening on the fire front, but other people didn't. So I made my judgment call from that. But I think one of the lessons learned is, A, you look after your family first and you, yourself and your family first. If the bush burns, the bush burns, you know, so be it. Um, there's no real lives at, at risk there. But the other thing that concerns me about the, the number of evacuations that we have is people were asked to go to uh, nearby towns. And, and, and this could have been at two o'clock in the morning or one o'clock in the morning, you know, uh Where you've got a lot of smoke about, got a lot of wildlife fleeing fires or fleeing the smoke on the roads, and um the communities where they, they would have had to drive through areas that, might be, were unsafe. What we need to do is is communities is to have places where people can go, families can go, and be looked after. I suppose by people of your own community that's where they feel more comfortable and and I think that that can be done but these are decisions made from incident control centers and the like and maybe they have a, a greater view of the picture of where things are happening but I don't know whether that was uh, best communicated uh, to the community and I'm not saying you know they did it just they want to look after life. That's their first role is to look after life and then property uh, to make sure we're safe. But that's something that keep has kept coming back to us uh, ever since that event. And a lot of people did stay in town and they, we you know, went to friends' places and stayed overnight. Then we tried to get back home and, um because the road was clear again to come back. And then you'd get stopped at a roadblock to say, uh, sorry, you can't go. And then then you'd get this argy-bargy at a roadblock and people would not always be respectful, so to speak, with the officers or people manning those roadblocks because one minute they're told they can come, then they can't. And, of course, we're a farming agricultural community. People are concerned uh, about their stock. And their fencing and and all of all of the rest. So getting the message clear and consistent is of most importance in any of these things. So that's something I think we can learn on and and improve on going forward. And we've had many fires here since my time here. and uh, they're all different. they all travel a bit differently um and um but, in this instance, I think it was hyper vigilance from those in command, because of what was also happening up in New South Wales and coming our way, and also because of what occurred in two thousand and nine, say with marysville and 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 how quickly that fire spread, so. Yeah. You know, and then, then there was the issue where some farming farmers in particular would not leave their, um, farm, their stock and things. Their neighbor would leave. Then they'd ring the, the farmer that stayed behind to ask them to check on their property. So there was extra stress on those people staying behind to give updates of what's happening before. And, of course, the other thing with the firefighters who lived in this area, and and this did actually happen, where we'd been out all night on a fire and you'd come back to where you lived and were stopped at a rope to go and get some sleep and, and stopped and said, you can't go through. You know, and that was it. Full stop, no arguments, you can't go through. you have been out all night fighting a fire. So... There, there's lessons there that need to be understood and it causes so much angst within the community and negativity. And that's something we, we um, really have to avoid in, a, in time of, um, of a major incident like a fire or even a flood. Anyway, I think we're, we're getting better at that going forward and there's always got to be positives out of these things. So we must talk about, talk up the positives. Um, but nevertheless, some people are still affected by that and that's, that is ongoing. The other point I'd make and and is the mental health side of things. Country people are very resilient in themselves and oh, I'm, I don't doubt that there are some people who have got some mental health issues because of it. But most people just want to... Deal with the incident, and then move on, and think, get the positives happening. The more we pursue that, sometimes the less we're able to move on from it. And uh, and I've seen that um, as well. And there's a a lot of money being expended on the mental health side of things. I'd like to see. You know, more money spent on uh, repairing um, some of the damage done, repairing the environment, ensuring that places where people can go safely are better equipped to deal not only with the, with people but their pets and and other animals that are that are dear to them, uh, and uh, ensuring that our community spirit remains, and that's. One wonderful thing about living in the community is the community spirit and how the community all gets around each other to help in those times, and that's, that's that resilience and bonding within the community. So that's that's extremely important, and that's capacity building as well. So, you know, it's been a few few years now since that thing, and I've said my bit to the emergency management commissioner. Uh, Tony Pierce. Um, I think by the time I finished with them, they thought I needed to. Next stop was to go and see a mental health person, but <laughs> I got it off, got it off my chest, <laughs> and move on. So, but I think in, you know, with with this process as well, other people are probably thinking the same or similar to me, but they don't necessarily want to express it for fear of. Hurting somebody who may be in genuine need still. And I certainly acknowledge that there are people, uh, who are in that need. And I recently went up through, uh, Corowa and, um, up through those bushfire affected areas. People are still, you know, over in Gippsland, they're still living in, in caravans and, uh, bush houses. They still haven't got their house back. Uh, they've been badly affected. Um, in that regard, and you know, I felt really, really sorry for them because you know, I've, I didn't lose anything here, but they've lost a lot where they are. And uh, I didn't didn't consider this particular incident as bad as some of the ones uh, we've had previously. But certainly, there are other people, um, close by to us, who were uh, in other shires and that were who were more affected. We move on, and I, I've moved on.
0: You're you're very pragmatic and resilient and caring at the same time, Ron.
1: I think always, you know, it helps if you just keep banging on about it. Yeah, yes, you must care, uh, but you've got to get on with life as well. You know, as a result of trying to be more resilient and making use of some of that funding, that is. Became available through the bushfire funds. So, our community at Buffalo River do not have a community hall. Everyone meets at the fire shed, which is um, pretty basic. So, uh, in order to upgrade that facility a bit, and when I mean upgrade, I mean putting in a female toilet instead of just one outdated toilet on the side of the shed. It has become a bureaucratic nightmare.
0: Sorry for the interruption. This is Ian Westmoreland, the founder of Kintsugi Heroes, and thank you for listening to this story from one of our amazing heroes. Our mission is for these stories to provide hope and inspiration to people experiencing life challenges, and to also educate the broader community on how best to provide support. If you would like to help us to continue to produce more hero stories, and cover more adversity themes, we would welcome all donations. These can be made via our website, kintsugiheroes.com.au. The donate function is at the bottom of the homepage. We'd also welcome any feedback. You can email me direct using ian at kintsugiheroes.com.au. Now let's get back to the story.
1: And the costs have... Blowing out exponentially, and and so therefore that project has been going for two years now, and the best we've got is a um, oversized hay shed on the side of the the uh, building, and um, a partly constructed male and female toilet. So the bureaucrats' system has taken over, has cost more money. We could have had it built and been using the facility 18 months ago had it been left to the locals to get the job done.
0: You're just stating the facts, right, Ron? You've given a lot of, I guess, wisdom, right? And you've shared with me, Ron, a lot of learnings that you and the community can take away from the events of 2019 but also you've, you're coming from many other events. I mean, you've been in the community a long time and you've seen more than one bushfire.
1: I don't know if I can add too much more to, to the conversation and my story, but I would, I would advise people, yes, these things these happen, but be resilient, be organised for these events because they will continue to happen whether it be a fire or a flood or or something else, uh, heat, heat stress, all the scientific evidence is that it will occur and they will occur more frequently and with with higher intensity as we go forth. And we can all do something about that, um, even in, in our own homes, so that we have plans in place. If we have to evacuate you, make sure you take all the documents that you need to take with you. All these plans are out there on all the different government websites. People just need to accept the fact this is going to happen and before a fire season starts, get yourself organised and um, have a plan, in a written plan in place, and the best one is to do a written plan and to tell you what to do with the children. Mm. Um, yeah. Because they are organised, they learn about these things at school and... uh we have an active program within the Alpine Shire with resilience with children at all, all over the schools and they're really good at it. And I think when you, we reflect back to when we had to wear seatbelts and the click-clunk every trip or something was the catchphrase and it was the children who would remind the parents what they had to do. Um, so we have to listen to and educate our young ones uh, in this. Uh, just because we did it 50 years ago doesn't mean it's always relevant to today's circumstances.
0: Very true, and I have to say, I remember that click clack front and back.
1: Yeah, that was another one. That's uh, you might be. Back. That, that, yeah. That's
0: the one that I heard and I I learned uh, when I was a kid. Ron, I got a question. Um, for the 2019 fires, you, you touched on you know, the emergency services and, and also having the military there and all of that, what was your role in during the time of the actual fires over those days when the fire was, was raging in the community? Were you with the fire brigade then? Were you fighting the fires?
1: Well, I had, I had a role with the CFA as a volunteer and then I was also attending uh, community meetings as a counsellor. People do look to their local leaders for strength and advice and um, to know that you've got, basically, you've got their back and you're looking after their interests. Uh, so that's why, I mean, I, I didn't give updates on what the fire is doing, et cetera, et cetera. I leave that up to the professionals um, who are in charge of um, in the incident controller or whomever it, it might be that are, that are leading that part of it, but I think it's good that you you have your local representatives also there to support people and help people who don't quite understand what's going on and ensure that they have got they get that information in a timely manner so that they do understand and there could be might not be either just here or they there's a language difficulty could be anything. They might be worried about their farm or their children somewhere else. So you've got to make sure that they're okay. So, yeah, multiple roles in that regard. And, of course, then you've got your own own property um, to look after. I back into National Park here. Um, We're classified as a high-risk area. And, and of course, if my um, wife... Is left here, you know, you know, clearly that she is, um, concerned about, um, the physical aspects, um, of, of a fire coming onto our property. So as I said earlier, the first thing is to do ensure that yourself and your family are safe. And if you have to get out of there, just get out then, you know, some, if the house goes, it goes. You know, but take all the take documents with you when you go, because then you're going to have to deal with bureaucrats yeah. again to try and get all the information back.
0: Did the fire come close to your house in, in 2019?
1: No, no okay. it didn't. No. The smoke was the worst thing, and the constant days living in a smoke-filled environment um, has an effect on everybody, and that was because the, the the winds come up from the south or southwest if there's a fire that way it blows into our valley and we can have weeks of it you can't even see the front road because of the thickness of the smoke and um and you know that's where you also need to know if your um neighbors for argument's sake have got someone who's asthmatic in the house that that they they're, they're um, safe and um uh, not suffering almost with other some other medical complaint. That's looking after your neighbours um, as well as your, your family.
0: You speak with a lot of wisdom, a lot of experience, Ron. I'm very grateful for you sharing that with me.
1: No, that's all right. I'm, I'm pleased if someone, it, it might, I'm hoping that, you know, people think similarly to me that they're not, feeling bad that they're thinking in a certain way because there's a lot of people thinking the same way, I I think.
0: Mm-hmm. But I
1: but I still say those of those people who are suffering mentally from it, then there are provisions out there. There's a lot of provisions out there uh, for mm-hmm. assistance. And it's it's all confidential and you know and I'd encourage people to do that. But on the other hand, I'd also ask those Organizations to be mindful that people also need just to move on and just don't uh, keep reminding them all the time.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I, I completely understand what you're saying. If you, if you stay in the pain, you're just staying in a whirlpool of pain, reminding yourself and continually exactly. going back to something that can't be changed. And, and there's no judgment right. on those people that have mental health issues because we've all experienced it in some way. Quality of life is clearly at your, you know, a priority for you and for everybody. And, and, and I can see where you're coming from. You want people to move on to, to be able to progress and enjoy their life.
1: Indeed. Enjoy what we have. We, we live in a wonderful country. Uh, wonderful area up here in the in the northeast uh, of Victoria, um, and we you know we share so much with our friends who come from the cities to to visit us, and uh, you know they have to understand as well. And this is another issue uh, with an area like ours who've got a high popular high uh, tourist visitation. People have to understand that. If there's a major incident like this, we can't look after everybody. And when when a town goes from three thousand to thirty thousand, um, you know we have to, and, and not being unkind, but you'd have to say to people, if you don't need to be here, maybe it's best to pop back to the where you to the city or wherever you've come from, because our community is under stress. Here and having more and more people doesn't always mm. help. And that's not being unkind to, to the people either. It's a fact that we yeah. can't, you, you can't have a fire truck at every house or surrounding every street or anything. The more and more people there are, you know, that, that risk becomes more. And if you do come to an area um, and it's a high fire day or something, well, check the local conditions before you light up the. Uh, a fire somewhere, a little campfire somewhere. And when you do have a campfire, make sure you put the thing out properly with with water. Mm. Yeah.
0: I've, I've got a final question. If you think about the journey you've been on, as in you've seen many bushfires, a lot of natural disasters, you've got a lot of pragmatic experience, like wisdom and a lot of experience. So moving forward, looking into the future, as you've said, more of these fires are going to come. They could be bigger and greater in severity. We know that from weather predictions and what's going on from research. It's not just fires, it's floods, and this is Australia. We're the land of fires and floods. What advice or what would you like to say to someone into the future about how to cope or deal with another natural disaster?
1: Preparation and planning are a key to it. and. Uh Ensuring in, you, 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 you have a plan. I, I spoke about this before, a written plan within your house and everybody in the house knows what they're going to do. Uh, if, if something occurs, because one of the partners might be out in the paddock or on the fire truck or in the SES or something, something occurs. So the rest of the family have to take, take over. And take charge of that situation at home when you come to an area and as I said before, if it's a an area that's prone to to certain things, just check the local conditions and make sure you understand them you know before before you come and and then know what your little plan is if something does occur and it's even like going for a swim in the river if you can't swim, don't go in the deep end and where there's logs and undercurrents there that you're not aware of. It's not like the local swimming pool um, in the middle of Melbourne. And so there's, whether it's on the Murray or on the Buffalo River, it's all all the same. Um, Check your local conditions before you Mm. jump in.
0: Thank you for that, Ron. It's, you know, you've got a lot of wisdom. I like what you say, your message. Thank you for sharing. And I love your positivity and your strength, right? In the way that you get on with things, and you're, you're very caring and very accepting and wise and pragmatic at the same time. So good on you! Thank you for sharing. Thanks for being here, and I hope that your message resonates with people in the right ways whenever they hear this. And I'm sure that will. So appreciate you being here today.
1: Well, thank you. And it's just just watching this uh, thing. There's, there's another issue too. Don't think that you're going to get mobile coverage when you come up to the country, particularly if you're on particular service providers. You just Mm -hmm. won't get it.
0: Won't get it. Very good tip. That's it. Thanks, Ron. We'll
1: call call it quits for the day. All
0: right. Sounds good. Thank you. No worries. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Kintsugi Heroes, with the Alpine Bushfires special series. Please like and share the show to your friends so we can get this out to even more people. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, please reach out using the contact details below and join us for our next hero story. Until then, keep being you and remember that we are all heroes in our own unique way.